0: Hi everyone, Fee here with another re-release. Well, it's certainly getting colder in my neck of the woods. I'm not sure about you and winter is very quickly approaching. So this week I thought we would draw it back to our winter racing special where we discuss what to look out for in the form when trying to find a winner on lovely wet winter trap. Lots to learn in this one. Hope you enjoy it and make sure you are subscribed or following the podcast wherever you're listening and leaving us a review or a rating so that other people who are also interested in racing can find our podcast.
1: This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings and now with their Pink Bonus Series there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership.
0: That's right Grace with the bonus prize money up for grabs the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media.
1: Field is ready.
0: They're racing in the Oaks. Well, here we are again for another episode of Ladies Who Punt. My name is Fiona Blair and here with me today is Grace Ramage. Hi Grace. Hello Fee. Hello everybody
1: listening in. Big episode today Fee and a big week for Ladies Who Punt as well. Today, we're going to really be knuckling down on what is winter racing and what are some of the little ins and outs that you really need to know about winter racing. And it's a pretty good time to do it, I must say, because it has been absolutely freezing this week <laughs> here in Yoroa. Um, Most mornings have been negative too. My car has been frozen. It has not been pleasant. But you know what? There's still plenty of winners to be found out on the track, and that's what we'll be hoping to steer people into in this show.
0: Yeah, definitely. Winter racing is uh, a bit of a different battleground than normal racing, the spring and autumn. The weather conditions certainly play a part, and we're doing a lot more synthetic Mm -hmm. racing. So, all aspects we have to take into account. And then, after we've had a little chat about winter racing, we will be doing the form for the Bletchingly Stakes this Saturday at Caulfield. As you said, it's a big week for LWP. We have our first ever race day meetup this Saturday at Caulfield for Bletchingly Stakes Day. So we thought we'd do a little bit of form for the day for those who are attending with us. And if you are keen to come but haven't RSVP'd, uh, you can still RSVP. Just let us know on our socials. And if you just happen to be there and you see us wandering around, just come over and say hello. Well, Fee, we now have our hats. So yes. we'll be we'll be standing
1: out, it's safe to say. like <laughs> It's not hard to spot Team LWP at Caulfield this Saturday. It's probably going to be gloomy and grey and you'll see some hot pink caps shuffling about the mounting yard so that's
0: us <laughs> <laughs> talking about our hats we do have to announce the winners of our merchandise giveaway so thanks to everyone that entered the competition and our winners are alice and murphy Romy, and the alice family who all shared uh posts of themselves listening to the podcast thank you so much for doing that and um we will be having the caps up for purchase soon so you can send us a direct message if you'd like to purchase one And for all those people who are coming on Saturday, we will have a cap for you on the day. So a little perk for those who are coming to our first ever. And it does look like there's going to be a little bit of rain on the day. So I don't think it's enough to scare us off. Just looks like a little bit of drizzle here and there, but come prepared for that. And basically what we're going to do is just continually update our location on our Instagram stories of where we are. If you're meeting up with us um, during the day. We will be officially meeting up from race two. Race two is at 12.40. So I reckon from like, you know, quarter past 12 to 12.30, we will be posting our first location. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, Grace. So we are in the middle of our winter racing season and uh, it's a great time to cover the topic of winter racing. It's such a challenging time of year for finding winners between like wet tracks, synthetic tracks, extreme weather. So we put out the call to our listeners as to what we should chat about. And as always, you guys have come up with some great suggestions. First thing we've been asked to cover is the track rating system. And this is from Sally. I think this is a perfect place to start. So let's refresh our memories on how track ratings work.
1: Yeah. So we covered this a way back in one of our first episodes. And I think at that time we were racing on good threes and good fours because it was the middle of summer. So, let's go back and now really focus in on the other end of the scale, which is what we've been dealing with in winter, and that is in the soft and heavy range. So, winter racing, you'll predominantly see soft tracks and heavy tracks, and that is different from a firm track or a good track. Firm is rated one to two, good is rated three to four, soft is rated five to seven, And then heavy is rated 8 to 10. So those numbers are all telling you how much moisture is in the track, essentially. I know there's a whole bunch of different things that go into actually coming up with that rating um, that the track managers do on a daily basis. But essentially what it's telling you is how wet is the track? How much moisture is there? How muddy is it? How much slosh is there? Obviously, in summer, there's no mud or slosh. Um, And you'll be really looking at a dry racing surface, a firm track or a good track in the winter. If it's been raining a lot, like you've seen up in Sydney with all of their flooding rains recently, they've solely been on heavy tracks, potentially even heavy 10, which is essentially the wettest, most sloppy track that you'll find a heavy 10 track. So I suppose that's, that's how the numbers work. Um, what we've just explained and yeah in winter we're really looking at the
0: range of soft to heavy what we can take away from the radius grace is the firm to good track so one to four are going to be running a bit faster the horses are on top of the ground and will be recording quicker times and then the five to ten you know the more moisture you get in the ground the thicker it becomes they sink in And it's more physically demanding. And so they run slower. That's exactly it. If you're looking at just
1: comparing times of two 1200 meter races and one's on a good four and one's on a heavy eight, there is going to be a significant difference. We're talking like four or five seconds difference, if not more. Um, in terms of just the way and how much more difficult and how much more time it takes for horses to get through a heavy track than it is to skip along the surface of a good track. Um, But you also just mentioned another really interesting point, Fee, because it does burn more fuel for horses to get through wet tracks. So if we're on a heavy eight track, um, a really important thing that I would be looking for during the winter is if you're racing on a heavy track, Make sure that the horse is fit enough. Like I'd always sort of have a tendency to not necessarily go with a horse that's first up from a spell on a heavy track because while they might be good wet trackers, um, they might just not have that fitness that they need as opposed to their rivals who might be having their fifth or sixth run of a campaign on wet tracks. And it actually it actually adds up to a lot. So it's just one of those things, um, probably the first point when you're looking at wet tracks through winter racing is um, really look for those horses that have got that
0: fitness edge on wet tracks. And while we're on track ratings, let's talk about synthetic tracks. Do they get rated, Grace, or are they just the same all the time? So
1: we only see synthetic track racing during the colder parts of the year, um, and they really come into play Purely to take the reliance off our country tracks um, around Victoria when it is so wet. Because a lot of the times these country tracks, they actually just can't really manage the amount of rain plus a really heavy workload in terms of racing. Like they chop out, the, the turf gets ruined, it just becomes an unsafe racing surface. So we race on synthetic tracks here in Victoria. At the moment, we've got a great synthetic racing track at Pakenham and we've also got one at Ballarat. Um, and we race on them probably once, at least maybe twice a week to take the load off another country track. Um, so to save that racing surface for the better months of the year. Interestingly, they don't have synthetic racing in New South Wales. So oh. a lot of the times they will be um, abandoned meetings, like the, 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 there's been too much rain and it's just not safe for racing. So you cannot race that day. Whereas if we had, let's say, Bendigo, washed out too much rain they could transfer that meeting onto the ballarat synthetic and racing goes ahead so it's just a really good way to service our racing and our punting through winter in terms of what is a synthetic track because it's pretty weird to be honest it's (laughs) it looks like sand but it's not it's like made of fibers and even um i think i think it's the pack and the sorry, the Ballarat synthetic track has got like bits of fabric in it. Like it's all this mulched up fabric and fibers and stuff um, that makes a synthetic surface. It's quite like fluffy. And then when it gets wet, it becomes a little bit more compacted, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a really weird substance. It obviously is all weather. That's the whole point. It, it can be as much rain as you want on it and it just seeps right through. It sort of always stays the same. So it is a huge asset, synthetic racing um, in the winter months for Victorian racing, you know, what you're going to get, it's not rated fee. So it's always the same. It doesn't matter how much rain there's been. It doesn't matter what's going on in terms of the weather. It's always going to just be the same surface. However, it can race differently, um, which is a whole nother kettle of fish. Um, there's been lots of chatter recently this season about the Ballarat synthetic racing surface and how it's got a lot of kickback so when I say kickback I mean when horses are galloping on it it really picks up their their hooves really pick up a lot of the synthetic surface and just kick it back at the horses behind them and um, that's not great because it can start flying down air pipes and it can hit horses and riders in the chest or in the head and it's just not ideal for fair and competitive racing so um, the synthetic tracks need a lot of maintenance but on the whole, for what they do for racing, they are really a godsend, to be honest. It's, they're, they're great tracks.
0: Yeah, we're very lucky to have them down here. Um, just on the point you were making about Ballarat, the next question we had was how can they influence our form? So as you said, the Ballarat track has been talked about a bit this season because of the kickback. From my understanding, that sort of makes it a little bit of a leaderish track because the horses behind mm-hmm. can really resent the kickback and and not like it and then in terms of the Packenham track do you sort of look at your form differently when you're assessing tracks at Ballarat synthetic and Pakenham synthetic
1: yeah you're right Fee with um the way that the Ballarat synthetic track has been racing you definitely um put a lot of emphasis on horses that can sit on speed or at least not in the kickback so that means any horse that's sort of got free galloping room and they're not cluttered up because that's when they're going to um, sort of be in the firing line of all that synthetic surface coming back at them. So that's a good point um, with the Ballarat synthetic track. The Packenham track is really fair. Um, it's very even. So I suppose when you're just looking at synthetic racing in general and how it affects your form analysis or your punting, the main thing is if you see a horse that's disappointed last start on a wet track, let's say it was a soft seven, And now they're racing on a Pakenham synthetic track. You know it's because the trainer has thought, well, my horse didn't go that day on that soft seven. He didn't like that shifty wet surface to run on. He didn't let down properly. So let's try him on the synthetic surface back on top of the ground. And you can expect to see a better improvement. Now, it's it's just sort of the guidelines. Anytime you see a horse disappoint on a wet track and then go to a synthetic track, it is a very good sign and take notice of that horse as a result. I suppose the other way, if you see a horse that has won impressively on a synthetic track and is then ne- then entered to race on a heavy track somewhere, proceed with caution is all <laughs> I can say because there have been a lot of recent examples of punters absolutely diving into <laughs> eight-length winners on synthetic tracks and then they go to a heavy track and they just don't run as well because it's a whole new experience for them. Um it's not to say they're not good horses, it's just a whole new test. So that's something to note as well, I think.
0: Thanks for that, Grace. Um, our next question is from Jeddah, one of our listeners, and she's asked, do different racing styles in horses, for example, back markers and leaders, typically perform better on different surfaces in winter racing?
1: Interesting question from Jeddah, because um, I would say that, you know, obviously in the summer months when we've got rock hard tracks, um, it can really cause a leader bias or, or a rails in run advantage because that part of the ground actually gets compacted and then dries out faster and is naturally quicker ground than out wide. That's in summer. In winter, it's probably a little bit the opposite. If you've got a wet track that's received five mils of rain every day for the last five, seven days, the natural camber of most tracks means that the water actually runs down towards the rail. So that's yeah. when you'll see um, for the maybe the first few races, the track race is really fair. You can win from the fence. You can win um, from out wide. But then later, as the, the meeting progresses, um, it starts to really chop out is what we'd say on the inside. It becomes really shifty like the horses have been over it they've been picking bits up with their chunks up sometimes dinner plates you'll see flying in race replays Um, so it becomes really uneven and that's when you'll see jockeys get to the better ground out wide so you can still win um, in terms of whatever your racing pattern is you can still be a leader and win you can still be a back marker and win but I would say that if you are a leader in race eight on a heavy track, the jockey will probably be angling to get into the better ground because horses that stick to the inside lanes, um, you'll often see later in the day not performing as well.
0: Okay, so our last question is about winter racing fashion and I've been waiting for some fashion questions to come through on this podcast and I'm a little bit shocked it's taken this long, uh, but this <laughs> is, uh, perfect timing with our race day meetup coming up this Saturday a lot of people have been asking me what should I wear um and this one's from Laura she asked what do you wear during the winter racing season now this is a question for you Grace because you are an avid race goer most weekends throughout the year you are track side and fashion really isn't a strong point for me so what do you think is an appropriate outfit for a Saturday at the races in winter I'll be taking notes
1: Okay, great. But also, um, I'm no expert either. But I'm still at the races enough to see, you know, the wide variety of what people wear. Um, and I would say during winter, a really safe bet for Caulfield this Saturday, for example. So we've got a stakes race on the card. So it's, you know, a little bit. It's a little bit fancy. It's not. It's not spring <laughs> carnival. Carnival fancy, but it's a little bit. So I would think that any sort of really warm coat so probably not a puffer jacket you know actually some sort of a a coat a really warm and snug one would be good um some thermals would be great two pairs of stockings um, (laughs) a top and a skirt or a dress and some winter boots if you have them they obviously do not need to be heels because we will be traversing across really wet patches of grass through most of the day. So flat winter boots would be great. And if you really want to, a nice little felt hat to keep your head and your ears warm. Now, that's, um, that's my true sense on the matter, but I'll probably stick to form analysis as my area of expertise in the future.
0: <laughs> now maybe it's good we don't get so many fashion questions. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably
1: for the best. <laughs> and just one more thing, Fee, before we carry on to the next part of our episode. Another really peculiar thing that happens in winter racing and winter racing alone is that you see horses mix flat runs with jumps runs and it can be a little bit confusing and it's really hard to, um, you know, accurately assess how the horse is going to go in a race when they're coming off a jumps run, but it happens all the time. So if you look at Caulfield this Saturday race number five, it's over 2,400 metres And we've got two horses in that race whose last starts were over the jumps. Um, So you can have a horse that's racing uh, through the jump season but maybe has another feature race coming up soon, so they just need another flat run to keep their fitness up. So the trainers will send them around at Caulfield over 2,400 metres. So just another thing to make it even more difficult to try and find the winner, you have to somehow assess how a horse that's just had a 3,600-metre hurdle win can now line up to 2,400 meter benchmark 78 horses. So yeah, makes it hard.
0: (laughs) Uh On Saturday, we are having our race day meetup and we will be actually having a competition on the day. We will be asking the people who come and attend with us to pick the winners of races six, seven, eight and nine. And after each race, you will be scored points according to the horse's finishing position. So, for example, if your horse wins, you receive one point, and if you finish tenth, you receive ten points. And so, the person with the lowest score after race nine wins, and we will have a one hundred dollar Maya voucher up for grabs. So, uh, we will be doing the form for the Bleachley Stakes, that's race eight. But it's really important that everyone attending on Saturday does a bit of their own form before they come on Saturday. Of course we will be going to the mounting yard and have the race day books on hand on the day. But the more you study up, maybe the better your chances of winning that voucher.
1: And that's why we're only going to do our form preview for one race, Um, race eight for the Bletching Sakes, the feature race for group three and not the other three legs of the Quaddy legs, because that's up (laughs) to everyone else to go and, and do. I've, I've already done them. um, And I actually really like a couple of horses in those races. So we will see how we go and, Fee, you'll have to do yours as well. But I no. bet that you're going to wait. I bet you'll be waiting until the mounting yard um, <laughs> to make your final decision, though.
0: I feel like that's that's what you'll be doing. Okay. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I haven't really done form on race day, so this is going to be tricky <laughs> for me. I will be having a look probably Friday night and then, yeah, making some changes during the day depending on what's going on. Well, you have to, everybody has to do that because there are so many different variables. I mean,
1: look at what happened at Flemington last Saturday. There were gale force winds, which were causing absolute havoc, not only for the cameramen, like the cameras were <laughs> going crazy trying to film the horses in the mountain yard in the race, but the horses themselves, they um, it was really affecting the way that leaders were performing because they were facing the breeze. They really caught the brunt of that those gale force winds and it also affected the way that jockeys wanted to ride in races because no one wanted to lead so you had some excruciatingly slowly run races which just gave majority of the horses no winning chance so um what i'm saying is that there are so many variables in terms of a race day wind can be one of them but you do always have to be ready to make changes on the
0: day as well especially with scratching too. like you could have a horse that you're pretty damn sure is going to win and Last minute scratch from the race, so then you yep, have to yep, exactly. have, a, have a fill up. Uh, you have to have a backup option. Okay, well, let's take a look at race eight, the Bletchley Stakes. It's a Group Three over twelve hundred meters. Grace, you always like to start with the speed map. So, what can we expect from the jump?
1: Well, I've done this race and had a look at who I think are going to be those horses that, from the barrier um, and the barriers located in the twelve hundred meter position for this race, from the shoot start. So, I'm looking for those horses that are going to jump fast and go forward to either lead or or sit on speed somewhere. And there's quite a few of them that naturally like to race on speed. Streets of Avalon, he's first up, he's a war horse, and from Barrier Three, he'll be somewhere near the pace. You've got Scalopini, Asar, Sartorial Splendor is a noted front runner. Uh, Oxley Road, I think, will race more prominently to the lead this time. Maliva, who won last start, she likes to be on speed and Felicia likes to be on speed too. So there's plenty of horses that are there jostling to find a spot near the speed. And when you've got lots of horses trying to find that position, it creates pressure and it creates more tempo. So in terms of the way that this race is going to be run, I I think it's most likely just going to be a nice even gallop with the prospect of it even being a fast run 1200 meter race on what i'm expecting to be let's say a soft five maybe a good four surface
0: by the way that this race unfolds so all in all i think that it's going to allow for most horses to get their chance a lot of the horses that are coming into this race have come through the sir john monash a group three run on the 9th of july and watching that replay it looked like such a fast run race like is that right grace is that what the the data was telling us well it's really tricky Fee. Really
1: tricky example that you've picked out there because you know how when we talked about um, fast and slow races and how you can go back and watch the replay and pick it up, and we're actually going to delve deeper into sectional data in the coming weeks. But if you go back and watch a replay of that, Sir John Monash stakes to the eye, you've got a horse called Asar who really the rider starts being quite vigorous before the bend, and you think, Whoa, the pressure has just been poured on here. Look at this horse like take off at the 600. Yeah, If you go back and watch the replay and look at every other horse in the race, like the jockey is sitting like so quiet on top of their horses. Right. Um, so it was a really tricky one at the time. I thought it was a fast run race too. The sectional data says it was actually just a, a regular run race, like it wasn't fast. And then you go back and watch and see those other jockeys sort of just truck into the race with a lap full of horse Um, they hadn't spent much petrol early.
0: I actually think that this race will have more tempo than the Sir John Monash stakes. That's really confused me, Grace, because you just mentioned Sartorial Splendour as a horse that likes to sit on pace. And in the Sir John Monash, he really seemed to fade in the last 100. And um, I sort of thought that's just because he'd burned too much petrol early, being in a fast run race. But if the data didn't say that, do you have any insight as to why he might have faded in the final stages?
1: Yeah, for me, Sartorial Splendor is an out-and-out 1,000-metre out horse. Right. So you can have horses that are really naturally quick to muster out of the barriers. They're, they ping the lids. They um, take up a prominent position in the race. They run along at nice, even splits through the race, like a good gallop, but then they're always just going to weaken that last little bit. Um, they're the horses that you'd say is an out-and-out 1,000-metre out horse. They almost run – the they, they run their race – you know, in the first 600 metres rather than the last 400 or, or 600. So Sartorial One is in that category for me. Um, he faded. He just faded. He still ran a great race. He's still in good form, but he's fading that last little bit. Now stepping out to 1,200 metres, so an extra, 11, an extra 100 metres than his last start. Is of concern to me. Yeah. I think that he will fade again and I think there will be horses that are stronger than him late. But the horse is still in great order. He will run well. I just think that 1200 meters isn't ideal for him.
0: Now let's take a look at our favorite number eight, Maliva. So she was the winner of that race we've been talking about, the Sir John Monash. She's paying $4.80 as we record the podcast, which means it's a pretty open field, $4 to field. What do you think of her chances, Grace?
1: Maliva is an interesting one, Um, very good mare, and she has proven that time and time again. I think she's won a couple of stakes races now, including last start, Mr John Monash stakes. But she is an exceptional first-up horse, um, and she is very good on wet tracks. So now we're looking at her second up on a drier track. Now, it's a tricky one with Maliva because her overall racing record doesn't matter first up, doesn't matter what track. It's still very good. She's a a good group three class mare. But now what we have to do is think about the fact that a horse like Oxley Road, who was well beaten by her last start but was first up, always improves with a run and hated the wet track. Now he comes into play because he's had a run, and he'll be getting onto to conditions which he prefers. So that's that example again of Maliva, who had a lot in her favour last start, now sort of coming back to the field uh, where other horses can really shine and show their best. So I'm not saying Maliva can't win, but $4.80 favourite probably is a little surprising to me. Um, there are some other horses that I think might have her measure now when we're talking about a soft five, maybe a good four at Caulfield on Saturday.
0: The horse that I'm looking to be with uh, on Saturday is number five, William Thomas. He's not a horse I'm very familiar with, but having watched the Sir John Monash replay a few times over, I was really impressed with with how he finished that race. He seemed to have plenty left in the tank at 1,100 meters. And I thought that the horse that won, Maleva and even the horse that came second, bless her, sort of looked to be at their peak at 1100 and uh William Thomas just seemed to be finding the line really well out wide and I thought this horse looks like he could do with another 100 meters so he's the one that I'm with he's paying a fairly good price he is 17 to win so maybe I'd do one of those one by three bets on him just yes. to cover my bases a little bit
1: wealthy <laughs> How do I talk to you about a horse affectionately known as Bill Tom? Um, You say that you're not really familiar with this horse. Well, is he very well well spoken? We've spoken about a horse called Brooklyn Hustle uh, in previous episodes and that she is extremely hard to catch. She's always teasing you because she gets back and she flies home, and you're always saying, Oh, she's going to win next start. Well, let me introduce you (laughs) to her Victorian equivalent, which is William (laughs) Toast. But so this is a a horse that notoriously gets back and flashes home. Um, but that's not to say that he can't win because he's definitely got the ability. It's just that he doesn't like to win often. Um Ben Mellum is riding him on I know, Ben Mellum is riding him on Saturday, a good jockey um from barrier four. Hopefully he's not, you know, detached from the field last, which he sometimes can be, and then rocketing home like he did last start. But uh, I'm going to, I'm just gonna say he doesn't win often, but he can win. So you stick to him and okay. fingers crossed that he gets up.
0: It goes, I have a new mantra, which is winners win. And this obviously goes against that. And I don't I didn't even realize.
1: <laughs> yeah, that 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 mantra does not fit this horse. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> oh well. Hopefully he'll be the exception to my new rule. <laughs> yes, hopefully. So I'm with William Thomas, Grace. Who are you with? So
1: there are two horses in this race that are coming down from interstate. Um, one's coming down from Queensland. His name is Scalopini, and one's coming down from Sydney. His name is King of Sparta. And I really like what both of these horses have been doing recently. I think that they might have a class edge on our horses. And what I mean by that is they've just been racing and winning um, at better levels in recent months. So let's talk about King of Sparta who's um i think at the moment six dollar second favorite so he's definitely respected early in the betting king of spiders trained by peter and paul snowden he's a month between runs he's only had the one start this preparation um, and that was in a group three up in queensland where he ran an okay race um he was a little bit keen through the run i think that he will appreciate a stronger tempo in this race and peter and paul snowden are Randwick-based trainers that also have a stable at Flemington, and they are very good at pinpointing races to set their horses to in Melbourne, especially two-year-olds. But King of Sparta is one that obviously they've flagged this race for some time. They've set it for him. Barrier 1 should be okay for the horse, I think. So he's one that I think um, has been set for this race and can run really well. The other interstate raider to talk about is Scalapini, who comes down from Queensland and to be ridden by Damon Oliver, he's already attracted good market support. I think he's been 12 into $9 or something when markets open. So there's plenty of people out there that wanted to have an early bet on Scalopini. He's a seven-year-old. He's had heaps of starts, but he's just racing so well. He um, finished a narrow second, like almost one, a group two first up at Eagle Farm, and then he went and ran a great race only beaten two lengths in the Group 1 Kingsford Smith Stakes over 1,300 metres. So now he's had a bit of a freshen up, but that's the best thing about this horse. His first up record is outstanding, four wins from 10 attempts and two other placings. So they know that this horse races best fresh. 1,200 metres is a good distance for him. He's got Damien Oliver in the saddle. there's a lot to like about this horse and, and the quality of form that he brings. The only slight query is that he's never ran the Melbourne way of going. He's done all of his racing in Queensland or Sydney. So he's got to now go on the other leg and go the other way. But Damon Oliver in the saddle, I think that he has got a really good winning chance. And at $9 at the moment, I think he's a good each way bet.
0: Well, we'll just have to see if their interstate form stacks up to our Victorian form, Grace. But I think we've Mm -hmm. given everyone some good options there and talked about quite a few horses, why we like them, why we don't like them. Hopefully this kickstarts people's form analysis for our competition on Saturday. and, And even for those who aren't attending our race day and just watching the races from home.
1: Yeah, exactly. So everybody go and have a look at races six, seven, eight, and nine for the competition, which will be a lot of fun on Saturday.
0: Well, Grace, that's all we've got time for this week. I feel like we've given winter racing a really good go over. It's such an interesting time of year to be, to be backing horses and watching how horses go on all these different surfaces, so much variety and running. And hopefully we've sort of decoded winter racing as a whole.
1: Yeah, and there'll be certainly things that we've discussed on today's episode that you can go and use looking ahead to Saturday, knowing
0: that it's going to be a much drier racing surface than we've had recently. So put that to good use, everybody. And if you're keen to join us on Saturday but haven't RSVP'd yet, it's not too late, just let us know you're coming or catch up with us on the day. Look out for the pink and blue hats.
1: And don't forget to wear stockings and a thermal (laughs) layer because even though it's 17 degrees in Melbourne, it'll still be freezing at Caulfield.
0: (laughs) Well, that's it for this week, Grace. Hopefully we see you on Saturday. And if not, we will catch you next week on another episode of Ladies Who Punt where we will be doing a very highly requested topic. We will be covering sectional data. Grace, you must be so excited.
1: Yeah, looking forward to this one. Trying to work out a way to make it as easy to understand and as simple to follow for people is a challenge. So I'm going to work on that for the next couple of days. But it's, yeah, it is a topic that everybody is always asking, Um, you know, can you explain the timings, like what do times mean, what is sectional data?
0: So we're going to get into that next week. That's going to be a great episode. We will catch you guys either on Saturday or next week. Good luck this weekend with your pump team.